Hello everyone, I'm Hazel Shaul, and I'm here to guide you through the toughest transitions in life, business, and even love. Welcome to Endings. I just like business and people. I like trying to understand people and see what drives them. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Johnny Whittle, managing partner of Major Oak, steward of human and financial capital, ex-professional rugby player, and a good friend of mine. Johnny's is a story of a rugby career cut short, starting over from scratch, and how an unexpected bereavement gave him the courage to take a leap into the unknown. Let's go back to the beginning. Johnny was born in Wigan, previously a mining town in the north of England, but now famous for rugby league, Heinz beans, Batak curry paste and Uncle Joe's mint balls. It's a great place, you know. There was always plenty of family around. And, like many others in Wigan, they were very close. I've got my, my dad, my mum, and I've got two sisters, and we were just brought up in a strong family environment. Grandparents around, always helping out, seeing each other Saturday, Sunday. Despite this closeness, Johnny's father was often absent, spending long periods abroad, working and mining all over the world, and was in Russia when Johnny was born. At school, he was an engaged pupil with a natural affinity for maths and physics and anything logical that he could get his analytical mind stuck into. And then, then there was rugby. I was always good at rugby. My dad played rugby. Most of my family played rugby. Even my sister, my younger sister. There wasn't too many girls that played rugby at that time. It was something I was good at. Now, I know Johnny. And he's playing coy here, saying he was just good. At 13 years old, he was spotted by Wigan Warriors and signed as a professional. At just 18, he was offered a rugby scholarship from the University of Oxford, which he turned down. After university, he pursued his rugby career in earnest, playing professionally for Wigan, Witness, Wakefield and Featherstone for a number of years. And after a great run, decided it was high time for a break. I'd just had enough and felt like I needed a change, so I booked a round-the-world ticket. Featherstone had had a good run, and Johnny found himself playing in the cup final at Headingley. I broke to score a try and just fell over with no-one near me, and I knew something was wrong, and I ended up snapping, totally rupturing my Achilles. I tried to tell myself I'd not done anything, carried on playing. Physio was trying to get me off, and I was just wouldn't have any of it. Uh, I knew what was coming. So then anyway, I collected the cup, we won, and then I was in hospital and there was no chance of me travelling the world with that. It's like, I think it was an eight-month recovery. So not only was Johnny unable to travel the world, his option to return to rugby in the future was taken away from him. It could have been a bitter pill to swallow, but Johnny knew he had options. I think it was Barclays Capital at the time, used to come up to Manchester Uni and try and get us down to the city for quants and all sorts. So I started to think, well, that's what I'll go into. And then after having a bit of a try at that, it wasn't for me because there weren't people. There was computers and, and numbers, but there weren't enough people. I just like business and people. I like under trying to understand people and see what drives them. I just fell into financial services. It was just quicker to get in front of people with the financial services and the path being uh, qualified. And he excelled in his new role, but pretty soon, Johnny started thinking bigger. There was a guy I met when I was at RSM Tenon and, and he was a really successful business, but he was quite a young guy. And I was introduced by one of the directors to 
you know, he's made a load of money, Johnny, and he needs to put this into his pension. And I'm like, okay, it was quite an, an easy sell, if I'm honest, but I turned up and when he was starting to tell me about, this is what I want and put half a million quid into a pension, ever it was at the time. I was like, but do you not need it for the business? What's your plan in the business? You know, I'm gonna build the business a bit more. And, and it was that, because I needed to understand that the advice I was giving was right for the whole picture. I think I always asked to ask more questions. So it went quickly that I learned my trade in financial services, financial planning, wealth management, investment management. But I've, I've always had that bigger interest in, in what's, what's right for this person I'm trying to help. And is it right long term for them? Alongside this, Johnny had started his family. Uh, I had two children, another one on the way. And I was very conscious of the fact my dad travelled a lot when I was young, as I said. My sister was born in Zambia and then my dad brought the family back home and settled everyone in Wigan and then he went off and travelled. So I didn't see much, he didn't see much of me of a, of a child and I, I think I, f I felt that more than what, what I realised back then. And I was very conscious of the fact that I needed to spend time with my children because I knew, you know, I'm, I, I, guess, I guess I missed time with my dad. In his 50s, Johnny's dad retired to spend a bit more time around friends and family. But at the age of 65, he was called in for a checkup. He found an enlarge, he found something he needed operating on and he went in for the operation. Following the operation, he suffered a massive stroke. Last, and it was a really bad one. We had a, we had a hard time for six months trying to look after him. And um, he actually, yeah, he, he died. It's sobering to think. Johnny's dad thought he could catch up the time he missed with his kids in later life. But as too often happens, time is shorter than you think. After the tragic loss of his father, Johnny remembered a valuable lesson he taught him years earlier. You know, you're always waiting for the right time to do something. I remember my dad telling me about the kids, you know, you're thinking, should I have a kid? Should I wait until I've got the next house? There's never a right time, just have it and make it right. And I, and I think once, obviously, my dad passed away, I think it was just one of them that I need to have a go at doing things myself or the way I think works better. Having learned how precious time is, Johnny soon quit his job and set up his very first business. He gave me the push, he gave me the push. Because your dad was such a, a big figure for you, on reflection, how much of your life do you think has been an act of loyalty to your dad? Sometimes it's focused on my dad because that's what happened, but I'd say it's just loyalty to family, it really is. If you think back then, my dad wasn't at home at the time, it was my mum that kept three of us, you know, she brought up three kids, uh, along with my grandma and, and, and my dad's mum. So the word loyalty is key, Hazel, who it's to, it's to just other family members, people. They're, you know, and it, it's strange you say that, because one of the, um, from, you know, I played at Wigan Rugby, on the um, badge, it's ancient and loyal. So loyalty, as, as I said, Wigan is quite, a, it's got strong roots that way. Tell me a bit more about more of your values, because you said loyalty is a big one. You know, trust is key to me. And to get trust, you need someone who is honest. You know, there's character there. You need to know where they're at. It doesn't matter what type of individual it is. It's you understanding that individual, seeing what the drivers are, and then seeing what the partnership is between you and them. And there's different people in that, you know, and that's why as long as there's trust and honesty there in one way, or I can see honesty, some, even some people don't give you the honesty direct. 
but you you know where they're coming from, so it's still fine if that makes sense. Yeah, I was intrigued that in some ways that although I suppose it's very easy for for people who don't know the detail of the story to see it as oh that's a sporting career ended by injury, but actually you'd made the decision. So looking back, what do you think the injury at Headingley actually ended? What did it end? Mm. Um, I guess my energy that was being given to being a sportsman. Okay. I've done my bit. I'm happy with it, with what happened in my career and where I was. Yeah, of course I could have done better, but I think from a, you know, looking back whenever my time is, I'm happy with that bit. And it was just pulling it. I think it was just saying from a, from a pushing yourself physically to that point to show you, you know, from a challenge in my, in my head of being a professional sportsman or good at whatever, the physical side, I kind of said, right, I've, I've shown I can do that. Probably pushed it a bit too hard with a snap to Achilles, but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it just ended that, that time in, in, in me trying to develop myself as, a, as an athlete, maybe. I think it, I think it ended that. I know when we spoke, you were talking about the surprising things, though, you missed about being an athlete. Yeah, the, I mean, everyone says it, but it's just that closeness. You never... I have a friend now who was in the Marines who served... He did some tours in Iraq, and there's very there's a lot of similarities there, that that um, brotherhood, you know, that, that time when you, you're basically all in, you know, there's nothing else. There's nothing else that would get your attention. You're all going for one thing. Um, obviously, the Marines, it's not life and death on a rugby field, but it, it's, it's very physical, but you've, you've, you've always got someone to lean on. And I think the transition over from sport to business, it shocked me. And one of the main things, I remember having a chat with someone else that had made the change at the same time, is how I was saying about honesty and trust. Going into business, I'd never come across people who you didn't have that automatic value and connection but business it's a totally different world and to meet people who can sit in front of you and say one thing and then really mean something else either doing it on purpose or not it was just a strange thing for me and not being able to lean rely like rely on that team closeness it's the instant feedback i think that's key in sport i think what sports gives you is it's an acceptance that that's your position you're good at that. You're terrible at that, Johnny, but you're good at that. <laughs> I spoke to someone not, not, not too recently. He said, I found it really strange. I said, in sport, you're told for so long how bad you are, basically, to get better. And you, and you accept that. Whereas in business, you're told how good you are. And actually, you're not that good. You know, you really are bad. And he said, I've just really struggled with that one. So I guess... Yeah, the two things I missed in sport is just that general being, you know, you've been around lads and it is lads, isn't it? It's single sex team. You know, everyone calls it the banter, but it's just that closeness. And even when things are hard, you know, you know people will be there for you. And so I've definitely missed that. But as well, I've just missed that honesty. Um, I'm finding it now because what happens is you go into business and you try and work with everyone. And then you start, and you know, once you know you know how to work in business, you find people that just match your values, and then so again, the trust starts coming back, and things happen easier and quicker again. I guess. Every single business I talk to, people go on about how important feedback is and the ability to have candid and kind conversations, and that that kind of don't assume you can't be both. Mm. And it is astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we think just have the conversation. I think it's going to cost you more not to. Um, so it is interesting that the thing, the unexpected things 
that you missed with the ending, but the fact that you'd actually already made that decision. And I'm hearing that in, in a way of setting something up on your own, that you'd sort of already made the decision, but then it takes something big to make that final push to go, actually, now, do it. Yeah, I guess it's that confidence. It's that, I mean, let's be honest, when, when it's such a, you know, that was a, you know, it's, it's a really sad event, wasn't it? And, and seeing someone who you looked up to and was, was very, you know, as a, again, back playing rugby was a very strong individual, not just physically, but he had a great, you know, he has got some great friends and reputation. He was known as a, as a, as a strong and honest man as well. Um, so to see him, you know, die, it, it, it brings that, it, it just gives you that shock. So, Making a decision of going into business on your own, if it doesn't work, so what? I'll, I'll go, you know, I'll go back to what I was doing. You know, it's like, it, it's, it takes away that fear, I guess. Seems like it's, uh, yeah, it gives perspective. Exactly. Uh, I'm also noticing that you, you seem to instinctively reframe things that I think many people would see as that was the end of something. Always I hear you took, use language that's more as a, a transition, a change. Where do you think that started or where did that come from? I think that's when I think about it, that's how I fell into physics. I, I really do. I've, I've been a deep thinker from being young, really young. And um, I don't mind taking myself away, getting into things as well. It doesn't have to be with a group. And I, you know, I remember reading books on Tai Chi and that was at the same time, Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawkins. And I was like probably 11, 12. But it was all, I think Hazel, where I'm going to hear is, there's a connection here and me going into science as well. The, I mean, the word everyone uses there is energy. And energy for me, it, it, exp it does explain everything. You know, I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, people have different religions, people have minds. I'm not saying science is my religion because it's not, but energy, I just understand the world with that. I got into a phase when my dad died of reading a lot of spiritual book or books about spirituality. I'd already read books on Buddhism and things like that, trying to understand it, but just general spirituality. And Einstein, when I look back, he, he is one of the most spiritual people. I, and one of the laws, you know, energy can't be destroyed, just changes its forms. You know, just, it, it just answers everything. There's no, there's, there is no end, really. It's just, a, it's just a, you know, it's a change of coat, a change of form. The energy is um, it, it's eternal, it carries on forever. It sounds like that helps you to make sense of the world. Everything. You know, as I say, when everyone thinks there is an end or an issue or physically something happens, it, it just, no, it, it does, it really does answer everything for me. Yeah. I remember someone describing money as energy once and saying that that's the important thing is always treat it as energy, not just like stockpile it and leave it. <laughs> but it <laughs> treat it as energy. It's, it has, it's been created by that. Anyone, and this is where we, you know, I work, I love the work I do now because you engage with people that, bringing human energy human capital an idea that one person's thought giving that vision to however many staff they have helping them drive that and it's re you know so that energy that's always put it and then it's re you know it's just brought back into money it's just an exchange it just changes its form so a hundred percent it explains everything to me and the more i've got into corporate finance and selling businesses and things some of the most um the best corporate finance professionals or PE guys I've come across, you know, they'll swoop in, they'll meet the people that are driving the business and they can make a decision within 15 minutes, 30 minutes of being with that individual. Obviously all the rest of the stuff has done, the financial due diligence, all the checks by all the, 
all the financial institutions and making sure everything and then the legals and everything else but the people that really make that decision and you can tell exactly what they're looking for looking for the individuals and seeing where the drivers and energy comes from and seeing if it's aligned with what they want as investors it's really it's quite simple really if, if you can sit back and look at it from that mm. from that perspective and beautiful to think of it as a spirituality yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's, yeah it works for me hazel it works for me so it sounds like that that's a fab philosophy but if you're looking back to these things that you know including some incredibly big things for you that have ended what do you think you have learned i think i think there isn't an end you know and, and i think the big one for me especially when starting major oak and discussing things with you and other partners you know there's only an end if you think it's about you really if it's not about you there's not an end is there and that's where from a generational perspective when you're dealing with these really successful individuals who are amazing people and family orientated you know the financial capital has been accumulated it's got to be redistributed then changed forms back into knowledge and human capital and then passed on generationally and whether that's um yeah whether that's through children their own children are just from a social aspect i think that's that's key so any ending that i have now it's just oh what's happened up until now has has just shown me that yeah there's there's always there's there's a flow of something and it's just you've just got to you've just got to try and do your bit it's like the flow of life and love yeah so what for you what does the future look like um i just want to i've got three children i'm happy you know, everyone's loving whatever they're doing with the children. You know, they're all into different sports or music or whatever. I just want to support them. Um, I want to work with some great people, which I'm doing. I'm lucky enough that I've got some team members I work with, but people we work with through businesses. Where it ends up or where this goes, I'm not sure. But I think as long as everyone feels like there's some kind of development or moving forward. So the future... Yeah, the future for me is just to keep doing what I'm doing and see and see where it takes us. Really, keep just supporting good human beings and being around good human beings. So you might have noticed that Johnny transitioned from rugby a little more easily than some players because he'd already decided it was ending, and just the same as although his father's death was a horrible experience in his life. In some ways, the decision to um, move out of his professional career, he'd already made, and then his dad's death gave him the kickstart he needed to finally make that push. Now, one thing Johnny did really well was be able to see those endings as transition, as a change to something else. He described it as energy. But being able to change in your mind something negative and describe it in a way that's positive and hear it differently and feel it differently, we call reframing. And it's a really powerful technique and it sits at the heart of cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT. And it means you can always choose how you feel and it's something you might want to try because you can use the principles anytime you like. And for example, I always think, if, if you go to a networking event and you say hello to someone, for example, and they don't say hello back to you. Now, there's a couple of things you can do. You can either turn that in on yourself and think, oh my goodness, they've just ignored me. Am I the kind of person people ignore? Or what have I done? Have I offended them? Um, we could also turn out on them and think, how rude. I don't want to talk to them anymore. And, or I'll leave this networking event. 
And it, it can ruin your day. You spend the whole day torturing yourself over what happened. But you could also stop and think, how do I see this differently? What else could it mean? They might have had their headphones in. They might have had their head full of thoughts. They might have been at death. They may have just been shy and, or it might not have been them. They may genuinely have been ignoring you, but for whatever reason, they're not saying hello to you. You don't know. So the key is you pick the one that's more positive. Because if you walk around thinking, I said hello and they just didn't hear me, then you feel good. That's the bit to tap into. So if you think of something that's making you miserable, it might be around something that's ending right now. It might not be. But write down as many alternative endings as you can. And then tune into your body because our bodies don't tend to lie to us. So tune into how it feels and pick the one that feels good because it's just as much of a story as the one we picked that was making us miserable. And then don't be forget that, don't forget, just because it's simple doesn't mean it isn't hard because a powerful part of your brain is invested in the first story and it might fight you a bit because all the beliefs about yourself that it reinforced is the first thing you need to let go of. Now, whatever's happening today, and we're tough, it is important to hold an unshakable belief it's going to work out whilst doing something to make things better. You'll have heard that in the way that Johnny talked. It's that ability to, to do something, to act, whilst being absolutely convinced that things will be okay in the future, that hopefulness. Um, again, we call that the Stockdale Paradox. It was all based on the experiences of Admiral Jim Stockdale. And he was a prisoner in Vietnam. And what he noticed was that uh, it wasn't just the pessimists who died, because, yeah, of course, the pessimists, they just thought they were in hell on earth. It was awful. And they didn't make it because they gave up. But also the people who didn't make it were the optimists because they're the people who originally thought, oh, we'll be out by Easter. We'll be out by Christmas. And then, oh, uh, we'll be out by next Easter. We'll be out by next Christmas. And broke the heart. They couldn't make it. So optimism alone isn't enough. So you need both. And that's the magic. It's the both and thinking of, can I absolutely look clear-eyed at what is happening today? I'm not going to delude myself. If it's bad, it's bad. Just look at it squarely. But never lose sight of how things can be in the future and truly believe it's going to work out. And that's the thing you can do, is that if you write the truest thing about your current situation on a piece of paper, and no matter how it feels, and now mentally transport yourself to a time in the future when the thing you're dealing with is in the distant past. Imagine how that's going to feel. And imagine how good it's going to be. And just really think about what you'll be doing and what you'll be experiencing. Because although our brains might torture us with dark imaginings, it can also allow us to hope. And that's the wonderful thing. Because hope is a powerful emotion. And you will be okay. Thank you to Johnny, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Endings. If you'd like to share your thoughts, I would love to hear them. You can reach me at HazelCS on Twitter or on LinkedIn. If you're interested in understanding the endings happening in your life a little better, I have the perfect thing for you. It's my five-step worksheet developed specifically for listeners of this podcast, and it's based on years of my research. The first step will only take you about 20 minutes to complete, but it will bring you a lot closer to understanding how to make these difficult decisions around endings. Click the link in the show notes to download 
your Thriving Through Endings worksheet now. I'm Hazel Carter-Shell, and I hope you join me again for another episode of Endings.